You didn't have anxiety? I had And I'm Lauren Learman. And welcome back to the Performance Anxiety Podcast, the show where we realize, is the universe ending or do we just need to go to sleep? I mean, seeing as I've been sleeping all day, I think it's the former. Yeah, Lauren has a little bit of a cold today. A little bit, a little bit. I'm going to blame allergies and that's it, we promise. It's not COVID, I promise. (laughs) Uh, Our guest today... Is (laughs) Is <laughs> want to go put his mask on. <laughs> is somebody who I, Lauren and I both greatly respect. He is not only a fantastic actor, but he is also a fantastic director and also a movie star in some senses. Please welcome. In some senses, I mean he's been in one movie that I was also in. <laughs> uh, please welcome to the show, Frank Bartella. Thank you. <laughs> so, Frank. What would you say uh, was a time that you felt the most anxious while you were either performing or while you were directing? Any time when I didn't know what I was doing, probably. <laughs> so it doesn't happen very often because the whole point of rehearsals is make sure you know what you're doing. And then if you've done it before, there's no problem. That's true. Is there ever been like a moment when you have been performing where you do have that rehearsal behind it, but something kind of just goes off and you got to go, oh, okay, I got I to gotta shift gears? Yeah, I mean, that probably happens every night in a performance. There's always something going, not according to plan, but I mean, again, if you've done it before, if it's happened in rehearsal where you've had to recover from something, then you've done it, then, you know, it's... You might have a momentary panic in the moment when you're standing there on stage, but it's not something you're going to worry about before going on, you know? Yeah. So you think that uh, being able to, like, knowing that you know what you're doing, having those rehearsals behind you really takes that anxiety down for you. Yes. One thing that helped me, actually, and this is weird, and I recommend it to everyone, um, but, you know, I used to have stage fright, Um, early on in my life and several years ago I think it's now 16 or 17 years ago I quit smoking and after that I stopped caring really my whole sense of self went out the window you know because I was you know Frank always had a cigarette Frank was a you know and so my whole concept of myself changed and I no longer really cared what other people thought. Wow. So at that point, I I stopped actually, you know, having stage fright. Wow. That's that's really, really interesting. But also, like, if I've never smoked and I have stage fright, what do I do? So you got to start smoking and then you got to quit. You got to quit immediately. If you are one of my choir students listening to this, don't you dare. (laughs) Or maybe, uh, you know, it's something else where you, you know, you cease to some something that happens where you now really don't really care what people think other than your own self you know um there you're not striving to maintain an image yeah which smoking was you know yeah and that must have been 
like I've I've never smoked um, in my life. I, it must have been like extremely like hard. But good good for you though, because like yeah. oh my god, I lucked into quitting. I never wanted to quit, so oh it was, okay, it was came easy because I was sick at the time, and oh, wow. and then when I wasn't sick, I'd gone a week without smoking, and lo and behold, I could quit. Wow. But anyway, so but entire sense of self changing helps helps with anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> Still, that's that's honestly super interesting, and I've I've never like heard that analogy before. Just being like, you know, now I'm a different person because something that was so core to me as a person, or that people knew about me as a person, now isn't a thing, and now I can just kind of be myself and honestly not give a shit. You can swear on this podcast. Yeah, no, yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> I mean, so after that, really, I've, I've said it to people and, uh, you know, I sometimes think, am I just fooling myself or whatever? But then, you know, I've found it to be true. You know, I'm, I might be looking at note cards, trying to relook at my lines before going on or whatnot, but I'm not standing there being afraid, you know, that I'm going to fail because I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I do too. I, I really love that of having that. Like, you know what? I'm great. I well, I mean, not necessarily that. I'm, I'm, I, you know, it's just that. Yeah. Anyway, well, try to be prepared, and then you won't be. Then there won't be any anxiety. So, what would you say? Um, I know that you don't necessarily have anxiety about this, but do you feel there's a different? I'll use the word. I'll use as the kids say vibe on how you approach things when you're directing or when you're performing? Um, well, when I'm directing, I mean, it's, it's a matter of being as prepared as you can and, and uh, having everything planned out and, um, and working with the actors. I mean, it's actually, to me, it's a lot easier directing than it is acting because... Um, I don't get to work with my, you know, I'm not direct. I guess I am directing myself when I'm acting. So, <laughs> um, but you know, asking I don't necessarily really probably direct myself as well as I would direct other people. You know, I I don't I don't ask myself all the the questions that I would probably ask uh, somebody who's who's acting for me. You know, so I think it's easier directing. Yeah. Um, so going off of that, then, what would you say, because you've directed a number of shows at this point, mm -hmm. what would you say would be a show that, because you have to interview for a lot of, like, directing, correct? Yes. At the Guild, they do uh, an interview to decide who does what show. Okay. Yeah. Um, are you ever, like, how do you get prepared for that sort of, like... I'm, I really want to do this show, and how do you, like, I show them that I'm the person that they need to pick? Well, you prepare for the show I mean, as, a, <laughs> as, if you, as if you would be doing the show, and then you go in and you pitch that to them, you know. Um, and sometimes, actually, it changes, you know. The, the thing that I went in and said, I'm going to do it this way, and then I start actually doing it, it comes out a different way, you know. Um, but uh, it's having an idea. Uh, it's easier too when you've done it a few times. So then they know that you're capable, you know. Um, 
you know, makes probably their selection a little bit easier. Um, I remember when I was first getting involved with the guild and didn't necessarily get to do a show that I wanted to do and, and wound up doing a different show, which wound up to be incredible. Um, and I'm so glad that I, I got the different show. But um, I remember really, I love Agatha Christie. I love all um, mysteries and detective stories and whatnot. And I wanted to do And Then There Were None, and I was going to have it set in a birdcage. And <laughs> okay, but I'm all about that. Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, but... You know, somebody else got that show, and and I got asked, you know, would I like to do Escanaba in the Moonlight, which I never heard of before, but I read it. It was hilarious, and I'm like, oh, my God, how could I not do this? And it was a smash. Um, People were literally unable to breathe. They were laughing so hard, and, you know, the the old rolling in the aisles was true. You know, people, it was just ridiculous how funny that show was. That is absolutely true. Um, I went and saw that show, didn't you? That was a little bit before my time really? with the Guild. Yeah, I don't... What year did they do that show? Do you remember? I can't remember. I, I remember, I think it was 15 the year. or yeah. 16, something yeah. like that. I was around, but I wasn't doing theater yet. The Conklins had not strong-armed me back into the theater community, and I, had, I basically holed up in my apartment every weekend just trying to not see the world. <laughs> I get that. But I remember it, and I went because um, uh, Kevin Brilski and uh, Jim Hag were in it, and yeah. those two were, became two of my good, good, good friends uh, during when I was in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And I was like, oh, I, I got to see this. And honestly, Frank, it was so good. I know you know this. <laughs> But I, I still get people asking, why don't we do it again or do the sequel or whatever, you know. <laughs> I mean, we could do it if you want to. I mean, performance anxiety is always looking for new adventures out there. We are under a different branch now. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's another thing that, if you don't mind me talking about, you were the first director that the original performance anxiety had oh, yeah. on their staff, technically. Forgot uh, that. No. Oh, that's right. Second. Yeah. Second director. But still. I was in the first show yes. in this town that they did. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then you directed the second one. Right. The one that was being written uh, while we were working on it. And we got <laughs> act two, uh, like two days before, you know, so the final week. So did that give week. you some anxiety, you know, having No, because I wasn't script. on stage. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, and they were all good people, and I knew they would do it. If, you know, if I'd have been the one acting and had to learn an act in a week, then maybe I would have had some anxiety because I wouldn't have been able to have that... Uh, you know, experience to fall back on of I've done it before and I know what I'm doing. <laughs> it would be more of a winging it and I hope I know what I'm doing. And <laughs> But, um, you know, if you have good people. Yeah, because, um, again, I don't, and, and if you, and if this, you don't want to talk about this, this is totally okay. I remember when you were directing uh, Duck Hunt, Duck Hunter's Guide to, or, Duck Hunter Shoots Angel? Yes, thank you. Duck Hunter Shoots yeah. Angel. And I remember you had to go on stage for one of the actors, and I saw that performance. And honestly, I thought you did fantastic. 
I had the script in my hands. <laughs> you know what? After a while, I barely I didn't have to worry it. about learning Seriously, my lines. I came and saw it, too, and I was just like, okay, I realize that he's not off book. He has a script in his hand, but it never bothered me, and it never got in the way of your performance, and I was amazed at how little you had to look at it. I mean, it was literally the second dress when uh, we found out what happened and had to decide that we need to replace somebody in the show. Um, So I had two days before opening to, to go on. There was no way I could memorize the lines, you know. And you think, you know, when you're sitting there watching it as a director and whatnot, you can practically quote every line. You know, if somebody shouts line, you're like, you could, you could say it almost immediately, but then find yourself in the show and, and all of a sudden it's a different matter, you know. <laughs> yeah, so how was it getting like through that and having to be like, I have to be the one to step in and do this? Um, you know, again, it was just the decision had to be made. The show must go on. And, and I'd seen it done before where somebody was walking with a script. They had a big binder in their hand. So it was much more obvious. I had a smaller script that had a cover that looked like a um, hunting or fishing guide or whatever. Not that anybody ever probably saw that cover because it was always bent over <laughs> and just was the script. But, you know, I knew the convention had happened before and people would understand. Um, and like you said, it didn't bother most people. So nothing else I could do. I mean, yeah. And, you know, like I said, I, as Lauren even said too, like, I know that it been being warned beforehand, like, hey, this is a thing. And even then I was like, oh, okay. But then after a while with you and uh, Jarrett DeMann um, going off of it, I was just like, I didn't even see the script. I barely mm-hmm. see it. Um, and honestly, like the cast as a whole and the way that you were able to put a show like that just together like that, it just, it felt like everybody was on board. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, my only regret after uh, that happening was that the last few rehearsals and and the performances, I was not able to watch it and and be able to, you know, give notes to anybody other than maybe what I happened to see while on stage, you know. Yeah. But uh, so they were left pretty much just in the state that they were in when we when we had to go make the change. But, you know, everybody was hopefully uh, far enough along that that was fine. (laughs) It was a great show. So if there were notes you were going to make to them, you didn't need them. They were great. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's kind of, I know when you asked earlier before we started recording of like, why did you want me on the show? Because I legitimately think like you are like every show that I've seen that you've directed or I have been a part of, I've been like, this is something extremely different in like the best way possible. Like it's, the vision is very good and the people that you choose to be like in those shows know what like you're going for and it always comes off like really, really well. Like I remember the first one I saw and I helped backstage was uh, Dead Man's Cell Phone. Mm-hmm. That one still sticks out in my yeah, head. Yeah, I love that show, I mean. Uh, it was such a quirky show yeah. in the best way. Mm-hmm. It was super good and if it's okay for me to talk about this, backstage, we needed a fog machine for when one of the actors in the show, Sandy, uh, barbecued herself to death. <laughs> and the fog, the fog machine I had, we had to get two of them because one of them was, I think, 
it was very, it was like the first, I, I thought it was the first fog machine ever made, personally. <laughs> it was quite old, and then he had to have another one in case the other one couldn't do it. I learned in Sherlock Holmes, the foy, you know, the fickleness of the fog machine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that, oh, did you, you directed Sherlock Holmes too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see that one, unfortunately, because that was before I became friends with Meg. <laughs> Because Meg, oh, Meg Hammis Murray now. Yeah, Hammis Murray. Yes, and she was in Sherlock. Yes, that's right. Yeah, she told me about the fog machine, and I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you are currently, as of recording this episode, uh, in a production right now. Yes, I am in Arsenic and Old Lace, and I play Jonathan Brewster, which actually is a sizable part, which, you know has a lot of lines, so I'm busy trying to memorize. And, <laughs> <laughs> and how's that going? Uh, not too bad. I have about a page and a half in my scene five, which the numbering means nothing when you look at the normal script, but it's my scene five, um, to get through. And then I've, in theory, memorized it all. But, uh, you know, I'll refresh myself before going on each night. And... Um, I recorded the scenes on my phone, all the dialogue with spaces for my lines so I can listen to it and, you know, do my lines at work or whatever, uh, just to remind myself that, yes, I I still remember that scene. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good way to memorize lines. Well, you have to sit and memorize them first, and then you can listen to that and and repeat it, but... Yeah, to, like, get the beats, though, on, like, how the other person is saying it, recording, and then having that. I Mm -hmm. think that that's really smart. And I found out in the first scene that I recorded for myself that I didn't give myself enough time to say my lines during the pauses, you know, because I can read it fast when I'm just reading it without saying it, but when I'm speaking it, then it comes out a lot slower, so Mm -hmm. I gave myself bigger gaps in the later scenes. But that's good. That's a big problem that I know I have when I'm memorizing stuff where it's like, I know it, get it out there. Yep. You just kind of word vomit it out. Yes. 100%. 100%. Just got to prove to myself that I know what these words are. Yes. I'm not to the point yet where I can speed through it. But we still have two weeks. I don't either. Something like that. But that, so... Um, in case this episode, I don't think it will. It's not gonna. <laughs> it's no. not gonna. So if you're here. listening to this episode, arsenic and old lace has already happened, and I guarantee, based on this casting, it's gonna be a fantastic show. And if you didn't see it, you missed out. Yeah. So, sorry, future views. You don't get it. <laughs> or maybe you did, and then you're like, I did see it, Tabitha, and then I'm like, well, whatever. <laughs> But, Frank, is there anything else that you want to promote before uh, we... Uh, Coming up, hopefully, um, next summer at the Pablo, the RCU Theater will be doing Matilda. So if anybody wants to help with that or wants to audition, um, watch for that happening probably at the end of April for auditions and whatnot and volunteers to you know, help with the production are always welcome. And it's going to be a fun, incredible show. And in the new space for the Theater Guild will be in the RCU Theater. So looking yeah. forward to that. It's been postponed a couple of times. So I've had hopefully third time's the charm. Two years now. When are the auditions? Yes. And oh, well. you know what? Tell people. 
that everything is relative. We do not necessarily need to have, you know, a six-year-old or a 10-year-old. Um, oh, good, because I have an eighth grader who wants to audition, and she looks like a 10-year-old or a six-year-old. Exactly. She's tiny, mean, and she's been waiting. She's everything been waiting. is relative. In fact, uh, a production that I saw um, a couple years ago, Matilda was probably in her late teens, you know. Um, so it's, it's really all relative. The big kids might be in their 20s. You know, and then the adults in their 40s and 50s or whatever. So it's 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 all relative. Don't let age, don't let height, don't let uh, any preconceptions stop you from auditioning if you really want to do it. Frank took the bylaws right out of our laws because that's one of our main things of performance anxiety is it don't matter. Yeah, just show up. Audition. Yeah. So these are going to happen in April 2022. Yes. Cool. Fabulous. So that's when auditions are happening, so yeah. look for that. I promise this episode will be out before then. It will definitely be out before then. So you listen now, present person. Unless you're it. listening to this like way after the fact, which, welcome. You feel But I, I can't believe you missed out this long. You feel me, I promise. I'm, uh, Lauren's not the one that dropped you. I swear. <laughs> it was me. I'm sorry. I'll pay for your therapy bills. <laughs> but, Frank... I really appreciate you being on here. I re- I'm really, we had to reschedule this a couple of times because um, I thought I wrote things down and then I didn't. And I do apologize for that, but I really do appreciate you coming out and being on our show. Thanks for having me. Well, in that, all of that, I am Tab the Tatro. And I'm Lauren Learman. And wouldn't you know it, Yuffie ate the outro. <sighs> That's what happens. She started, she's almost eating solids and she's practicing with those intros and outros. I mean, it's just, it's going to happen. It's that in between. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you want to say something? <laughs>